Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to start out with what I think is the weekend's big news, that the fascists and the billionaire oligarchs within the Republican Party are already preparing to steal the 2024 presidential election. Now, whether it'll be on behalf of Tom Cotton or Don Trump Jr. or God only knows, you know, Josh Hawley, I mean, who's, who are the leading candidates for Republican president. I don't think it really matters. But I do think that the Trump presidency was just a dry run for this. And their allies in the media are coming together on this, too. This weekend on Fox and Friends, one of the hosts said, Trump shouldn't have to go through the courts. I'll give you the exact quote here. This is uh, from Will Kane. He's a Fox and Friends weekend host. He says, I think what's happening here is we are quickly moving toward a political case being made. Now, this is being made for Trump staying in the White House for another four years, meaning the Trump team is talking to state legislatures in Michigan, Pennsylvania, attempting to make their case. There may not be enough evidence for a court system, but there should be enough evidence for state legislators to change their electors. Will they find more success there? We'll soon find out. And, you know, no, in all probability, they won't find any success there, but This is, like I said, a dry run for 2024. You know, in the beginning, a lot of fascists, I mean, you know, go back and look at Milton Friedman. You know, it's uh, von Mises people, a lot of libertarians and a lot of objectivists whose underlying philosophy really is fascism. They just don't realize it. They They think, oh, yeah, if only the market ran everything, life would be good and America would be better and people would be happier. Some of these people, not all of them, but some, and perhaps a majority of them, are actually idealists. They just think that a small number of very smart, very wealthy people need to run the country, and when the rabble starts speaking up and complaining, we need to figure out ways to ignore them, or specifically ignore their vote. This is a belief that has been asserted, you know, throughout the 10,000 years of civilization, and from the uh, books of kings in the Bible to, you know, the Holocaust, we have seen over and over and over again that this idea of, you know, a smart, small, elite ruler with absolute power ends only one way, in tragedy. So when Joe Biden won this election, Republicans in the Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Arizona uh, legislatures which could have flipped it to Trump, refused to tell the members of their electoral college, their electors, to cast their votes for Trump. Now, in each one of those states, there's a state law that says whoever gets the majority of the votes, that state awards all of their electors to the president. This is true of every state except Nebraska and Maine. But they could have easily called a special session of the legislature of Michigan or Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, whatever it may be, and Arizona, called a special session of the legislature and simply changed that law. In the year 2000, when the recount was going on, and it looked like Al Gore was going to end up president, the Florida legislature was planning on doing this. And Jeb Bush, the governor of Florida at that time, came right out and said to the media, I'll sign the bill. 
So those legislators in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Michigan, and we're seeing this now in Georgia as well, who said our legislature is not going to direct our electoral college to Trump. They chose to put America over the GOP, right? Country over party. But already the Trumpists, the fascists, the oligarchs are preparing 2022 challengers for these Republicans. And if they can get control of those swing states, they really only have to focus on six or eight states and really focus hard on four or five. And if they can get absolute control of those state legislatures, it won't matter how the people vote in those states anymore because they'll simply direct their, you know, their legislature or their electors to vote for the Republican, whoever, whoever that may be. Tom Cotton, I mean, you know, pick your fascist. And it's not like we weren't warned. I mean, back in March, a conservative I know in D.C. told me that I'm hearing that the Trump campaign is talking about the 12th Amendment and having state legislators direct their states to vote for Trump. He was pretty alarmed by it. I wrote an op-ed about it that was published on Alternet and Salon and, and Common Dreams and Raw Story, etc. back in April. I had Tom Perez on my program and said, are you ready for this? I mean, I, I talked with Mark Pocan and, and Ro Khanna about it. Everybody, all these Democrats seem to think, well, yeah, it's remotely possible, but I'm not so worried. And, you know, their, their confidence turned out to be true, right? It, I mean, we won't know until, you know, arguably January 20th, but I think they were right. But what Republicans have learned from this is that this is totally legal. The Constitution says states shall determine how, they, how their electors will vote in the Electoral College. And the states have just passed laws saying, well, you've got to vote for whoever gets the majority. But they can pass any old law they want. From now on, we only f- f- send Republican electors to the Electoral College. The legislature of Florida was two days away from doing this, already had the legislation prepared, and the governor had signed off on it in 2000 to stop Al Gore from becoming president. I mean, this constitutional loophole could give the next authoritarian Republican in the White House the absolute power to ignore the will of the people in this country and take us down that road that Germany and Japan and Italy and Spain traveled in the 1930s. And that today we're seeing played out right now in Hungary, the Philippines, Poland, India, Brazil. Neo-fascists have seized power in every one of those countries. Back when the Electoral College was put into place, Hamilton said, The process of election by the Electoral College affords a moral certainty that the office of president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in eminent degree qualified, endowed with the requisite qualifications. In other words, they would be the guys who'd go to D.C. and find out if the guy running for president was a drunk. But, you know, that's not how it's worked. And the Electoral College is now an anachronism, has been for over 200 years. It no longer takes a week for the news to get from Georgia to D.C. And we need to end the Electoral College before the next election. That Electoral College loophole has to go. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And we need to do everything we can to prevent these pro-fascist state legislators that are being propped up now to run in these primaries from winning. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Exposing the con in conservative. Stick around. Dr. Trita Parsi is on the line with us right now. Dr. Parsi has been with us many times in the past. One of the most thoughtful commentators we touch base with here is the executive vice president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. QuincyInst.org is their website. And his Twitter handle is TParsi. Dr. Parsi, thank you so much for joining us. I'm I'm looking at this Iranian scientist, uh, Mohsen, perhaps you could say his name. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Thank you very much. 
um, <laughs> that uh, has been assassinated. He's the, the top nuclear scientist in Iran. He was very, very well protected. Israel has apparently assassinated other Iranian nuclear scientists in the past, and it's widely believed that they're responsible for this one. And now we've got Jared Kushner going to hang out with uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And last week we had Mike Pompeo having a secret meeting with bin Salman and with Netanyahu. Um, what is going on in that region? Well, what is happening is that these countries, Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Israel, who strongly oppose the Iran nuclear deal, they strongly oppose any reduction of tensions between the United States and Iran because they fear that if the nuclear issue is resolved and U.S.-Iran relations improve, the United States will have an easier time leaving the Middle East militarily, that if that happens, they will be in a more problematic situation, at least the Saudis and the UAE will be, because they can't necessarily fend for themselves. And they're enjoying a balance of power right now that they cannot create on their own. They can only create it by the United States being there militarily. The American public wants to leave, but these countries are now trying to create as much obstacles as possible to make it impossible for the Biden administration to reduce tensions with Iran and resolve the nuclear issue. So you're suggesting that it is possible, or are you asserting that Israel assassinated this nuclear scientist not to cripple the Iran nuclear program, but to make it politically impossible or very, very difficult for Biden to have any kind of rapprochement or, or work out any kind of, you know, back into something like the Iran nuclear deal? What the Israelis and the Saudis and the UAE fear is not an Iranian path to nuclear weapon. It's an Iranian path to Washington. In the past, mm. we have seen clearly that the timing of these assassinations, and the Israelis have conducted several of these, they have not coincided at moments where the Iranians have been on the cusp of making a major nuclear breakthrough. They've coincided with moments in which there was a diplomatic breakthrough that was about to happen. And that's exactly where we are today. In seven or so weeks, Biden is going to become president. He's already said he wants to walk back into the nuclear deal. Netanyahu said last week that Biden absolutely should not do that. And this is his way of preventing Biden from doing it. But what's important in all of this to keep in mind is that I think it is quite unlikely that Netanyahu would have done this without some sort of a green light from the Trump administration. But he must also have felt that Biden doesn't have the political will to do anything about it, to impose a cost on Netanyahu for deliberately sabotaging Biden's diplomacy. Only Biden can correct that perception that Netanyahu has. And how would he do that? Well, by being much more firm with these strategic partners that the United States have in the Middle East, who have become increasingly reckless and increasingly willing to undermine U.S. national interests in order to advance their own interests. I mean, there has been yeah. a degree of deference towards these countries that is now really starting to come back and bite the United States in the back, because they're acting not only in disregard of U.S. interests, but in deliberate attempt to undermine U.S. interests. We're not on the verge of an election. Is there anything that Americans can do other than, I don't know, social media support for a, a Joe Biden pushback or, you know, re-embrace the uh, JCPOA or whatever? Is there anything average Americans can do? I mean, or is this out of the hands of Congress? Um, I, I think Congress still plays a very important role, actually, because uh, Congress needs to signal to the Biden administration that Biden actually has a tremendous amount of political space to do the right thing on the Iran deal. Uh, also on Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Uh, and pressure on Congress uh, from the public, I think, can be tremendously helpful in this regard. The Israeli element is going to be a little bit trickier, um, but it's needed nevertheless, because uh, at the end of the day, American strategic partnerships are supposed to actually advance U.S. interests, not undermine U.S. interests. You would think. You would absolutely think. Dr. Dr. Trita Parsi, yeah, yeah, Dr. Trita Parsi, the executive vice president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. T. Parsi is his Twitter handle. Dr. Parsi, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always so good. Thank you so much for having me. So much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Dave in Federal Way, Washington, our resident former intelligence officer, you wanted to weigh in on the, the Iran deal? Yeah, and I wanted to connect it to your topic of creeping fascism, Tom. Okay. Hey, look, 
Here's the truth. I mentioned it once before about Russia and their their obsession with territorial integrity. Okay, now Israel apparently is acting with impunity on the ground in Iran. I mean, Damavand is 40 miles. This is like a ski resort up there. It's a beautiful area. It's like 40 miles from Tehran, the capital. So this is where the guy was assassinated. Yes, sir. And apparently by the Israelis, maybe with some American assistance. Who knows? But the bottom line is Iran does not have control. Tehran does not have control of its borders. Now, this is not good. This is not good. Let's say you're an Iranian. You get a few speeding tickets and you are possibly facing a sentence in Arwen prison. Okay, the prison that you don't come back from. Right. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's foreign military forces acting with impunity. Think about what that would do to a citizen of America if the shoes were reversed. All right. Mm. And, and this is a very if dangerous some other country, situation. If Mexico had been traveling around inside the United States assassinating U.S. government officials and essentially yes, bragging I mean, about it. Well, yeah. And, at least and refusing even to right, deny well, it. Right. Even these these Trump voters with their, uh, you know, we got to build a wall because we got women and children coming across the border. Even their obsession with it, it, it does have a, a, a deep cultural, it does have a deep connection. All right. They're saying you can't control your country if you can't control your borders. And that's basically true. But women and children aren't really a threat. But anyways, the bottom line is the Russia connection in the spread of authoritarianism. Now, there was this guy, Jonathan Rauch, who was asked about Trump's mental state. Is Trump delusional? And he said, no, it doesn't matter. Trump is using the old Russian technique of a fire hose of fiction. Now, here's where I separate myself. Brennan said, John Brennan, the director of the CIA, said that Trump is better at this technique than even Vladimir Putin. Here's what I know to be true. To be successful at the fire hose of fiction, you have to have a corporate, it has to be a corporate endeavor. You have to have like the organs of state, like the KGB. You have to have a security apparatus helping you form this. What I'm afraid of is Trump, even Jonathan Rauch said, Trump is going to continue this fire hose of fiction even after he's out of office. The question is, is the Republican Party going to go along? Now, let me connect this to France real quick. France has a very controversial global security bill restricting the media from recording police abuse and whatnot, right? Not just the media, average people. France is trying to make it a crime for an average person to take video of a police officer beating the crap out of somebody because the cops beat the crap out of this black guy who was a music producer in his own home. Uh, you know, he, he ducked back in when he saw them coming because he had forgotten his mask. They thought he was, you know, as furtive. And they chased him into his house and beat the crap out of him, not realizing that he had security cameras in his house or in his office. And now the French people are on the streets because Macron and his party want to make it illegal to videotape the police. They, we've seen efforts to do that here in the United States that have been shot down by our courts. I think this is in France, this is going to be shot down by the people. Yeah, I hope it does get shot down because I believe, all right, Russia is looking at the long game. They are looking for victory, okay? I don't care what your opinion is if you think Russia is just nothing but a third world country now. They don't see themselves that way. And the spread of authoritarianism and Russia's efforts, possibly with Donald Trump, which is what scares me, their efforts are looking like may succeed. And it only benefits the survival of the state of the Kremlin. All right, it only well, and, and beyond that, I, what I think is happening is we're seeing a brand new form of capitalism spreading around the world right now that has been flirted with in the past. Well, I was going to say I was going to separate the European uh, fascists from the Chinese fascists, but really it's all the same. I mean, the, China is using capitalism to make itself insanely rich. It's working for them. Orban in Hungary, Duterte in the Philippines. I mean, you know, these guys are supported by the industrialists in their country, Bolsonaro in Brazil, you know, these right-wing authoritarians. And here in the United States, I mean, the Republican Party is committed to making government safe for capitalists, you know, deregulate and lower taxes, make it easier to pollute and poison people. That's just, you know, capitalism trying to shake off the shackles of democracy, in my opinion. Yes, and even Kim Jong-un, as much of a cartoon as we've made of the Kim regime, doesn't do it by himself, right? He has a cadre of elite capitalists. Really, they're predatory capitalists. They really are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they really are. And they're funding the Republican Party and these hard-right people. Dave, thank you for the call. It's always good to hear from you.
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He represents the 17th District of California. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's at the top of your list of things that you would like to point out or make sure we don't miss here in our conversation today before we start picking up phone calls? Tom, hope uh, you and your listeners had a good Thanksgiving as well. We're in session in Congress. We're trying to get a stimulus done. Uh, I think it would be unconscionable if we can't get anything passed uh, before adjourning for the holidays. The holdup remains the Senate and, of course, a president who is checked out. And then finally, of course, a president-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris are being briefed on the intelligence. But the fact that you still have Trump tweeting out, trying to sow discord and discontent, claiming falsely that the election has been rigged, is really making it challenging to have a transition where Biden starts out with the support of the American public. And we are thinking about ways that we can help President-elect Biden once he takes office to to have a better transition. There's a lot there, and, and we need to keep a close eye on it. Okay, Cheryl in Minneapolis, you are on the air with Congressman Khan. I understand that the Senate majority position in the in the Senate is not a constitutional a position that's in the in the Constitution. It's not in there at all. But that the president of the Senate, which is the vice president, has complete power. Um, if that's the case, I have two questions. Number one, why in 2016 didn't Joe Biden uh, exercise his power to get Merrick Garland? A hearing. And number two, what is to prevent Kamala Harris from pulling Mitch aside and saying, hey, you need to play nice, because if you don't play nice, I'm going to I'm going to name Chuck as the leader of the Senate. And that means don't stall on our cabinet appointments and don't let legislation that has passed through the House sit on your desk for months on end without doing anything. What do you think? I mean, I don't think a lot of people know this. Um, It's more of a traditional position in the Senate. And they don't follow tradition any longer. Thank you. Cheryl, thank you. Congressman? Cheryl, it's a very intriguing point, and you're right that it's not in the Constitution. I guess the challenge is just uh, getting the votes. And if the Republicans have the votes to pass the Senate rules, those, those votes can determine uh, what comes to the floor. Uh, my guess is that's how the rules uh, have been written. Uh, so the uh, challenge, I, I, I think, is twofold. One, uh, we need to use the power to appoint people in acting positions. You can have an acting position up to 200 or so days. And Trump uh, extended that for 15 appointees beyond the 200 days. Uh, we should rely on that precedent and appoint uh, who needs to be appointed and not worry about uh, the Senate uh, being obstructionist. And the second thing is that we need to try to figure out how to uh, take apart McConnell's coalition. The tradition has been that you don't go around the uh, majority leader uh, or the speaker, so you wouldn't have a president like Biden calling me to say, do something uh, in opposition to what Nancy Pelosi wanted. It's seen as sort of disrespectful to leadership. I don't think we owe McConnell uh, that level of deference or tradition. I think we should really target any individual senator 
that we can pick off. Matt in Santa Maria, California. You're on the air with Congressman Cong- Congressman Kana. Excuse me. My question is going forward, you know, this economy is going to be very different. Uh, would you not think that one of the real answers is turning banks into public utilities? Follow the model of North Dakota, who's had a state-owned bank for over 100 years, and it's been very successful. I know you've addressed this issue, Tom. And another quick thing is people need to make a living wage. The handout is given by those who make less than a living wage. If you're only capitalist labor and you're putting 100% of your capital, keep the lights on in a place, and yet they are compensating you 60%, it is the working poor, the middle class, who are giving the greatest handouts in this nation. Well, I, I think your suggestion on a, uh, a public bank is uh, correct. I mean, we have the uh, community development financial institutions, which we can expand. I think having state banks uh, to have uh, public banking uh, is important because the capital allocation in this, in this country has been uh, very uh, concentrated. And a lot of people, small businesses and uh, people who want to buy homes aren't, aren't getting access to uh, to capital, uh, and that the private sector basically has market failures in huge geographies and with minority communities. So uh, it is the, the, it is called for uh, having some public banking at least to fill in places where the market has failed. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. I'm wondering if maybe it's time to start using some phrasing uh, to describe the individual economic circumstances that we're seeing, uh, certainly currently, but in a repeat of what we saw in 08, 09, and, and during other economic downturns and collapses. Given that the Great Depression is the yardstick that we always go by, and as a, as a set of national numbers, we never quite go so far as to say it's as bad as that. But on the individual level, what people are experiencing is actually far worse than what individuals experienced during the Great Depression in that when when people wiped out and lost everything then, they started over from a position of zero. And nowadays, with things like student debt and your credit rating affecting your ability to get new employment after you've had, uh, you know, economic catastrophe in your life and your family. Is it time to start using that language uh, on the floor of the House to say, listen, we've got millions upon millions of little Great Depressions happening in families, in small communities that saw their Main Street wiped out. Uh, A lot of people are experiencing something that is indeed far worse than what individuals experienced during the Great Depression of the 1930s? Is it, is it time to start using stronger language? And, and right up until around 1947 or 48, they referred to it as the Republican Great Depression. Forgive the interruption. <laughs> Eric, you raise a very good point, and I do think it's time for stronger language, and it's time to talk about the depression in these communities that have seen uh, their uh, main streets totally hollowed out, uh, their uh, economic of vibrancy uh, leave and in and, and doing uh, permanent damage. The other analogy to the Great Depression, Michelle Dauber has a brilliant book at Stanford Law School where she says that the paradigmatic case for government intervention is a natural disaster. And the idea is that uh, from the beginning of our founding, uh, we thought that people should pull themselves up from the bootstraps. So the only time we thought government really should intervene is if there was a storm or natural disaster. And so you look at the Great Depression language, and they talk about the Great Depression being being like a storm, like a natural disaster, something people couldn't control. And I think that is also something to uh, pay attention to. The, the coronavirus is something people can't control and what would really necessitate government intervention. Brilliant analysis. Joanne in Selah, Washington, if I'm saying that town right. Joanne, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. I wanted to know if it's possible that the progressives could all get together and not vote for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House unless she puts Pramila Jayapal's House Bill 1384 on the floor for a vote. I mean, it's time you guys played hardball. I mean, in a time like this, I can't believe that we do not have single-payer health care. Speaker Pelosi was already elected by 
reclamation if you didn't have any competition, and it would be hard to block votes when there's no alternative. Uh, that said, I mean, she said that this is her last term. I think what would be more constructive is to focus on how do we get a vote on Medicare for all? How do we get uh, hearings on Medicare for all? My view is that we should not fear having votes in the chamber or hearings in the chamber just because we may not win, that you build public support by taking up issues uh, and having votes, even if you're on the losing end. I was on the losing end of a lot of votes on the Yemen war until it became something that was majority, accepted by the majority. Leadership traditionally has not wanted to have people cast tough votes. Uh, I view the whole job of Congress as voting on issues. And that is the real challenge that we need to push for. In uh, Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray FM, is it Fuff, F-U-F, your name? And you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. It's Fuff, like enough. Fuff. Um, Thank you. <laughs> or Puff. Thank you, Congressman, uh, excuse me, Representative Khanna. I really appreciate your intelligence and your public service. Um, what I'm wondering is, what is the fastest way to increase the electorate with statehood for D.C., Puerto Rico, all the territories, to do a couple of things, to both increase the number of voters and then push to get an expansion or an increase of circuit courts to sort of do an end run around um, this very extreme power that the judiciary now has. And with the Electoral College and, and votes and all those things dependent on a very small minority institution. Thank you. Well, Bob, I agree with you. First of all, as a matter of just representation and self-determination, D.C. ought to have votes and, and, and Puerto Rico ought to have a, a vote in our democracy. And I think as a matter of pragmatic matter, the courts need to have more people given the, the caseload. Uh, but until we can uh, win back the Senate and win it back with two or three people majority and you're not reliant on mansion. Uh, the prospects of doing that is, is very difficult. So I, uh, I, I think in the meantime, we ought to put the proposals out there. This commission that Biden has proposed, hopefully someone like Eric Holder or someone chairs it, uh, and we build so that when we have that majority by 2022, uh, we can get this done. Do you think that's realistic? To, do, to be able to uh, get a majority take in 2022? Two yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, I think it's it's going to depend on how the economy recovers and how bold we are in the meantime. I, but I, I think yeah. that forgiving things like student debt and doing other progressive priorities increase our odds of winning back the Senate. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, so much is going to depend on the Biden administration, really, you know, using that bully pulpit. Thank you. Connie in Buffalo, New York, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. I don't know if it's just me. But it seems like um, Mitch McConnell is our president. How is somebody, other than the president, given the power that he's given to do what he's doing with nobody able to stop him? It's very well said. And as much as uh, the urgent need was to defeat Donald Trump, and I probably would take the reality of not having Trump, even though we're stuck with McConnell. McConnell was uh, almost as much of a obstructionist uh, uh, as Trump, and in some cases worse. I mean, Trump would have probably signed basic gun violence legislation. Trump certainly would have signed a stimulus deal. Uh, Trump would have probably signed things on prescription drugs and would have signed things on infrastructure. And it's McConnell who has been blocking that. Uh, the, the problem is that they, he ultimately has unanimity uh, among his caucus. And uh, what we need to do is identify senators, particularly those who are up in 2022, and really put the focus on them and uh, on specific issues and say, are you really going to uh, be no on this and side with McConnell? Uh, and for whatever reason, we have not been able to break him uh, with his caucus. Bruce in Stony Brook, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. The uh, economy is in collapse because of COVID, and I support the CARES Act, but I wonder what you think about putting some kind of restrictions or strictures on these red state governors and legislatures that uh, refuse to take action uh, to curb the disease. I really do not want to see a third iteration of this CARES Act. Bruce, I uh, agree with you. The challenge is that we can barely get anything passed and, and now uh, because of McConnell. Uh, and so if we negotiate for uh, a smarter uh, 
health provisions, the chances of getting anything done become almost uh, negligible. So uh, what we have to do, in my view, is pass something so we can help people with rent, we can help people with getting food, uh, but then uh, have the Biden administration really uh, take a comprehensively new approach to dealing with the uh, the virus and do as much federally to coordinate as, as possible. Fredo in Mountain View, California. Got a quick one for Congressman Connor, please. Why is it that there are no laws to punish or to make it a felony uh, for anyone who obstructs or sabotages or makes it very difficult for people to exercise their right to vote? I mean, this should be a felony. There is no punishment. That's why the GOP is doing these horrible things. And take my answer off the air. Thank you. You're absolutely right. It is a felony. The question is the enforcement, and it hasn't been enforced. Uh, And, of course, uh, Roberts gutted the Voting Rights Act, uh, which took away a lot of the Justice Department's uh, oversight over these states. And so the Justice Department no longer had the ability to say you're not opening up enough polling places. You're you're kicking people off the rolls. Uh, The first thing that House Democrats did with uh, the late John Lewis' leadership in H.R. 1 is passed a vast legislation to restore the Voting Rights Act. Uh, and that should be a top priority for President-elect Biden. Again, the challenge becomes the Senate, and this is why not taking the Senate was such a blow to us, uh, because it's going to be much harder to restore some of the basic democratic rights that are foundational. The greatest challenge is uh, special interest. We know that the policies themselves of giving everyone health care and expanding Medicare, of giving a $15 minimum wage, of having free public college are wildly popular, but you have uh, interest groups, uh, wealthy interest groups, and uh, entrenched politicians and parties that are uh, opposed to it. And the most misunderstood, in my view, is that somehow this is going to erode economic growth or hurt markets. I would argue that in a digital age where you have an innovation economy, a lot of progressive policies actually are the ultimate investment in human capital. Now, progressives believe in, in it because of a matter of fairness, but they also turn out to be strategically very good investments, and we ought to make that case. Alejandro in Miami, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. You know, obviously with the whole issue with ESA Administrator Emily Murphy getting in the way of ascertaining, you know, that Joe Biden won the election, is there any plans to amend the Presidential Transition Act of 1963 to give it more teeth so as to not turn something that's supposed to be a ministerial decision, like objectively you can tell who won the election, into a political one that unfortunately the GSA Administrator turned into? Is there any talks about that in Congress? Alejandro, it's a great point. There is talk about strengthening not only that act, but other acts that this administration violated so that you could not have in the future someone like Trump hurting our possibility of peaceful transition or democracy. I mean, we came out of this barely, and there needs to be a strengthening of laws if you have a future president who so blatantly violates every norm. Maureen in Geneva, Illinois. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, I'm curious about the total vote. Uh, We are told that about 240 million people were eligible to vote. 80 million uh, voted Democratic, about 73 voted Republican. That means 155 at the most million votes. Uh, What happened to those other 80 or 85 million votes? Why didn't they vote? 68% was uh, impressive, I guess, but I was expecting 75 or 80. Uh, Why did so many people choose not to turn out to vote? It's a great question. It always vexes us uh, in this country why we can't get uh, voter turnout. I do think in their voter suppression has some role to play with it. We make it very hard in places for people to vote. We close down polling places. We automatically eliminate people from the rolls. Uh, we, we also had a pandemic, and that, I think, uh, suppressed uh, turnout. But all that said, I give uh, the Biden team uh, and our groups great credit. I mean, they uh, had uh, extraordinary turnout, and, and we needed it to win. Nick in Bad Axe, Michigan, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. i got to ask you a question. You know, I live up here in a rural area, a lot of farmers, low-wage workers, just because of the where we're at. Now, I think the progressives need to get some of these radio stations and get some of these speakers on that are um, 
local talk radio here. We you know we've had Rush Limbaugh down here for 15 or 20 years, and none of these people really know what the Democrats do for them. Social Security, Medicare, all these um, things that these people benefit by. The Republicans act like out here in the rural area, the Democrats have done nothing for them. Well, Nick, I'd love to have Tom weigh in because I know he's doing a piece on this, but you're absolutely right that uh, the Democrats and, the, and, and progressives and the left need to do a much better job uh, on talk radio and that uh, we have very few outlets. We're not uh, communicating to a lot of these uh, constituencies and you have one-sided communication having gone on for decades. I mentioned this before on the show that I was amazed when I was out campaigning for Bernie Sanders, how everywhere I went, that people mentioned that they heard of Bernie, supported Bernie because of Tom Hartman and his, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, brunches with Bernie, which he did for uh, 11 years. And so I saw firsthand out around the country the power uh, of talk radio, the power of building that trust. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want you to have too much competition, Tom, but it'd be good to have a few more people like you out there. In, I would, uh, in I the would love the competition. <laughs> I would love it. And and our real competition is right-wing talk radio. And, you know, the, 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 the challenge is getting the platforms. Alice in Madison, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Kana. I keep hearing about the Great Reset as being an opportunity that the pandemic has presented us. Looked into it, and I find it to be rather toxic. Could you describe why this is the pandemic is a great time to start the Great Reset? And does Congress have a vote on this? I think that's one of the conspiracy theory pet phrases. I may be wrong, but I think so. In terms of a conspiracy theory of, of what? I guess I haven't heard this phrase. Yeah, they think the deep state is going gonna, is gonna, to, you know, this is their final move. They're going to take over the world. I say, well, you know, I mean, uh, obviously that's just wrong. I think the broader issue is how have we had these conspiracy theories propagate online, create toxic groups and false information uh, and uh, but I think her question congressman I think that her question was to you know does the pandemic provide us with an opportunity to do something like LBJ did after the death of Kennedy or FDR did after the I think oh I'm sorry I misunderstood I I also I think that's absolutely right I think we have a uh, a a, uh, opportunity to say we have a health care crisis uh, in a healthcare crisis, we need to cover everyone for basic health care. I mean, that's to me the most obvious response to Medicare for all. Uh, we have an economic crisis where people are losing small businesses, can't afford rent. Uh, let's have real economic development and real commitment to public housing and affordable housing. Those to me seem obvious things that we need to do, and we've done it in the past. The question is whether we'll rise to the occasion this time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michael in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Last week, Secretary of Defense Mike Esper was fired, but along with him was 11 other um, uh, Pentagon Board of Defense members. Uh, does that, uh, do you know anything about it, and does that give you concern about him trying to, maybe trying to take some kind of control over the Department of Defense? Uh, Mike Esper was believed not to, uh, to be fired because he would not have military troops on U.S. streets. Well, it does give me concern, the, the firing of Esper, but uh, I don't think that the way Trump will fight this is by having the military come out and try to hold on to power at the White House. I think what he's going to do is sinister in a different way, which is he's going to try to paint Joe Biden as an illegitimate president to his 40 percent base. And we're going to hear about this 
for the next four years. And so the question is, how do we overcome that corrosiveness where he's selling a, an alternative reality? Steve, in New Boston, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, hi, Tom. Uh, Congressman Connor, I have a question today. Uh, we're reading that since 2017, Donald Trump has been inquiring about how he can go about getting pardons for people, including possibly for himself. If he should resign uh, the presidency before he, uh, he leaves office and uh, Mike Pence becomes president and gives him pardons, will the American public be known exactly what he's asking to be pardoned from? Because I think we should know this, and we should see total transparency within this new, new government. The American people are going to demand it. It's the only way to keep our government legit is for us to know everything that's going on. And I'll take my answer offline. Thank you very much. Steve, I, my understanding is that he doesn't have to give any justification that the pardon power is pretty close to absolute. So you can just pardon someone without explaining uh, your decision. Uh, now, of course, it does not uh, pardon him from potential state violations and state crimes. But we should be uh, sober about how difficult it is uh, to convict a, uh, a former president in a, uh, a jury of their peers in, a, in, an, in an environment where he has a 40 percent base. Uh, so uh, it, we need to hold him accountable, but be realistic that uh, the rule of law uh, in holding him accountable will not be an easy task. To what extent do you, in your opinion, I mean, if you were if you were Joe Biden looking at Donald Trump's crimes, how would you react? What would you do? Or what you do know, you I think you know one of Joe Biden's better answers. And, as you know, I was on the other side with Bernie Sanders. But this question came up in the debate and, and, and Biden mm -hmm. said I'd appoint an attorney general who I knew was committed to the rule of law and was going to hold uh, everyone accountable for the rule of law, and then I wouldn't do anything else. And so uh, I think he should appoint a tough attorney general uh, who will pursue the law uh, exactly where it will go, not give an allowance for Trump or anyone else, uh, but not do anything that would be beyond the law either. Yeah, and leave it out of the Oval Office and leave it in the office of the and AG, leave, right? And exactly. Yeah, yeah, don't go all Trump on Scott in Miami, Florida. You are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yes, Scott. Good afternoon, uh, Mr. Hartman, uh, Congressman Khanna. Here, here's my uh, statement and a, and, and a uh, uh, question, and then you'll, I'll listen off here. Mark Zuckerberg spent $400 million. Michael Bloomberg spent $100 million in Florida. And George Soros has financed Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Did these three Jewish communists steal the 2020 election from Donald Trump? Joyce, please flag Scott as a fulminating anti-Semite. I'm curious, though, your response, Congressman. Well, I think, Tom, that kind of anti-Semitism and hate has uh, absolutely no place in our democracy. And well, I guess, I guess I'm not so much asking you to respond to him as to how when one of these whack jobs who are seeing, you know, Jewish conspiracies or black conspiracies or whatever, you know, when they start promoting this kind of stuff that inevitably in history leads to leads not just to the dissolution of societies, but in some cases, mass death. How do we best respond to it as a society? And, and here's, I think here's our challenge, Tom, and you know, I've been writing a book on this, which I've been thinking a lot about it. Look what just happened in this interaction. He makes this racist comment and you immediately cut him off and you say to flag him and there's some sense of moderation and standards and it's not because you don't believe in free speech i mean no one is saying that he should be arrested you're just saying i tom hartman don't want that kind of filth on my platform but if he were to post that same comment today on facebook or twitter uh he would pro probably uh, find groups that would share it proliferate it with absolutely no standards and that right. uh devolution of standards in a media that almost 50 percent of people rely on for news i think is a huge challenge to our democracy uh, people have confused uh, first amendment uh, principles uh, with a sense of uh, uh, ethical relativism where they feel they have no responsibility to the type of content in our democracy yeah. Did I ever share with you the article that I wrote where I talked about the, the 10 or 15 years that uh, Nigel and I were moderating forums on CompuServe? This was before Section 230 went into place and and how everything changed when that went into place with the Telecommunications Act. And Yeah, okay. You've literally got these platforms. They say, well, the First Amendment. Well, what would you think of the New York Times tomorrow published the Ku Klux Klan op-ed and said the First Amendment? They'd be excoriated. And yet somehow with these social media platforms, 
we let them hide behind a veneer of the First Amendment without saying, well, do you really stand by the content you're promoting on your site? Yeah, and back when CompuServe, before the, you know this immunity was passed, CompuServe had hired, I mean, you know, we were making good money. There was, there was probably 25, 30 people that worked for us, and we were sharing it with everybody, and, you know, because everybody was moderating all these conversations and things and the content that was there. And Larry in Eugene, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Congressman, with such a narrow split in both houses of Congress, there's bound to be a lot of dead, a lot of, uh, I think, uh, difficulty confirming the uh, cabinet of uh, Mr. Biden. He can't confirm through the Senate people that he deems absolutely necessary. Can he hire them ex officio anyway and pay them out of other funds? Is there a way to get them to serve even if the uh, Senate can't confirm them due to deadlock? Yes, and uh, I think I mentioned earlier in the program that he can appoint them in an acting capacity that gets them about 200 days. Uh, but Trump had 15 uh, people he had appointed uh, who stayed beyond the 200 days. So I uh, believe we should uh, say that's a precedent, that uh, if there is blatant obstruction uh, and you're not even getting a fair hearing or fair vote, that he's going to appoint these people in an acting capacity. I uh, don't believe that Mitch McConnell should have a veto on uh, on the president's picks. And uh, let's see if he goes down that road. He's really uh, setting it up for a a terrible precedent. I mean, in the past, you've had almost 95% of a president's picks confirmed. I'm curious where you would suggest our listeners and viewers focus their activism in the coming week or two. Well, Tom, I think we have to call for massive public investment at this time, uh, an investment in stimulus checks, investment in helping people for rent, and understanding that instead of massive military spending, uh, and tax breaks to the wealthy, uh, this is a time for an investment in our people, for uh, economic and social uplift. And the call for that is so important for congressmen, the senators to hear that so that we don't curtail our wings and set our sights too low. Yeah, yeah, well said. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always great talking to you. Thanks, Tom. Always enjoy it. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show. So check it out, Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Chris in San Diego. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today? How? Do we make the Democratic leadership understand Biden and the congressman and just the leadership in general? You know, he made the uh-huh. comment that uh, we we need to decide whether it's reasonable to go after an ex-president. That's where we lose right there. It's not about whether we can do it or even should do it. It's about controlling the narrative. They have no evidence, no proof of not, of anything. And for four years, they've been yelling, lock them up. Then they get the narrative. Democrats are still trying to play the reasonable game, and we're not dealing with a reasonable party on the other side. It just doesn't work. How do we get them to understand that? It's kind of like trying to show your grandpa how to work the new computer. The world has changed. We cannot continue to play by those same old rules. Most of the public are very low-information voters. They do not really pay attention So they're just hearing the loudest voices out there. And that's why we keep losing the narrative. That's why people believe that the Republicans are better on national security when they're not. That's why they believe they're better on the economy when they're not. All of these things, because we don't, you know, the the Democratic leadership, oh, well, we won't be able to actually prosecute them. It doesn't matter. You get it out there in the open. That's the statement I guess I now had. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm with you. And I think that... In addition to Congressman Khanna talked about, you just let your attorney general do this and do it you know, independently, and you let your FBI investigate things and investigate them independently. And to the extent that the White House might be able to you know, lay their hands on transcripts of Trump's phone conversations, particularly, I'd say, with Erdogan, Mohammed bin Salman, President Putin, um, a few others, uh, Duterte, um, that, that he has had converse, conversations with that might uh, shed some light into why and how he was governing. 
I think those are all important too, but um, it seems to me like either on the one hand, kind of a truth and reconciliation commission, which Trump would never go along with, I'm, I'm sure, or on the other hand, just come, you know, outright criminal prosecution. Uh, and in the middle ground, you've got, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Letitia James and uh, the attorney general in New York and, and uh, what's his name, the, the uh, Cy Vance, I think his name is, um, Cyrus Vance, the uh, AG for New, uh, the, uh, progress, you know, the prosecutor for the state, city of New York City. They're all over Trump right now. I mean, they're getting ready to, to throw his butt in jail the minute he comes out of the White House. And he knows God, it. I hope so. Yeah. God, I so, hope so. Uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a real interesting time. I mean, we live in one of the most absolutely fascinating moments in history, Chris. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm grateful f- to be here. I'm so I'm saddened that so many millions of my fellow Americans are in such extreme crisis, medical crisis, economic crisis, political crisis. But hopefully we can all do something about that. Chris, thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, James in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, James, what's on your mind? The leadership of the Democratic Party. That's what I want to focus on. We got by by the skin of our teeth, had it not been, I'm going to have to say it, for Stacey Abrams. I agree. Uh, Perez, he's very educated. He's a nice guy. He's kind. But he's just a too nice guy for the RNC. They would have <laughs> ate him alive. I mean, I like So who do you think should be heading up the DNC, James? Stacey Abrams. Stacey, oh, really? I won't just call it like I see it. Oh, yeah. She should be in yeah. contention. Yeah, she should be. she galvanized black she people probably, like they've you know, never been galvanized before. I agree, James. And I I, I do Red, guess though I'm that. Sorry, but he sit back. We didn't see him. I don't think she's going to want that job because it's pretty clear to a lot of people in Georgia that she's going to take on Brian Kemp in two years and probably kick him out of office and be the next governor of Georgia and the first uh, both female and black governor in the history of that state. And you know, and she's like you know, seeding the ground, you know, electorally for that, um, not just, you know, to feather her own nest, but, you know, for everybody on, you know, who would be a colleague and an ally. So, um, you know, but this is, you know, that's a great point. And this is something I like that, that. that I think. I like what you said. Yeah, I like well, what I, you yeah, said. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. I, you know, I, I know people who know people, as they say. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. But James, I got to move along. But thank you for the call. And, and it was spot on. I, I, we do we do need some fighters in the Democratic Party. Tom Perez uh, on occasion has really, really done a great job. Maybe he needs to hire a, an attack dog to go with him or something. I don't know. Muriel in Greensboro, North Carolina. What's on your mind, Muriel? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I've been concerned about the disrespect that's in the Republican Party. They make no bones about talking down to people that have responsibilities of raising their children. They're allowing President Trump to be such um, anarchist in the public's eye. And it's roused many people uh, with the wrong kind of mindset. Uh, uh, Graham, um, Mitch McConnell, Barr, don't they have some type of um, consciousness to make uh, the president accountable for him, his own actions when they know that it's wrong, when they have a, a gut feeling that it's going, it's leading the whole country, the young people especially, in a, a, a different mindset. They don't want to be bothered. I, I, I'm afraid to talk to my son because he's learned how to be disrespectful in a way that mm. is not healthy. Um, you can't go and tell people you can go down the street and shoot. Oh, my God, I I couldn't believe some of the things I've seen and heard from a president that's supposed to represent the country of democracy Um, and his people that stand in the Republican Party, allowing it to go down where it is unconscionable. 
to think that no one is going to stand and make him accountable. Or if they did, is, is anything written in blood, signed in blood, that uh, they made an agreement to not go against anything that he says or have said or conducted himself? Muriel, what, what we all, what America needs to understand is that fascism is actually an ideology. Um, mm -hmm. There's actually a worldview connected with what Donald Trump and Bill Barr and Mike Pompeo and all these guys are actually enthusiastically doing. It's not like they're sitting around going, I'm a bad person and I got to sneak this under. No, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. they actually think they're neo-Calvinists. Mm -hmm. The Calvinist religion believes that because we're all born of women, we're all tainted by the original sin. But God figures out before we're even born who should be in charge. Mm -hmm. And the way that we yeah. figure out who's supposed to be in charge is we look at who's got the riches. Whoever's wealthiest, yeah. they're blessed by God. And so yeah. these guys have this. This is part of their ideology. So they really believe that power should not be distributed across the board. They really believe that Americans shouldn't wow. be voting. I mean, they really believe in their little elite, you know, we're so smart, we're so rich, therefore we should run the country. They, they believe that. Mm. And until we engage that belief, that really toxic belief that has destroyed country after country, it destroyed Germany in the 40s, it destroyed the 30s, it destroyed Italy, it, destroy, well, it destroyed all of Europe in the 1930s. Right now it's destroying India and the Philippines and, and Brazil and Hungary and Poland. Until we take on that ideology, we're going to have a big lift, Muriel. But your points are so well taken. Thank you so much for the call. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 